1: The minimum essential goodness that's required to get into heaven. Well, the reality is that we don't have to guess where that mark is supposed to be on that line. Because Jesus has given us the answer. It's found in Matthew 5, 48, when Jesus says, Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect.
0: The bar is set pretty high, isn't it? And that is a tall order. But it is one that Jesus fills quite nicely. We're continuing our series, Sharing Jesus, here on Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely. Today, we're looking at the one truth that man is a sinner, which requires the need of a Savior. With all the details, here's Pastor Leighton and today's broadcast of Study Verse by Verse.
1: Our church family here, our, our congregation, has a God-given mission to fulfill our part in Jesus' great commission. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, "'All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and therefore make disciples of all nations.'" Jesus told us to go and to make disciples. Now, we, we have been called to go into a culture here on the San Francisco Peninsula that's radically different from the culture of the rest of America Um, Yeah. Pacifica, I am told, has the distinction of having the lowest per capita church attendance in the nation. Less than 3% of the populace of uh, Pacifica goes to church on any given weekend. So I'm constantly reminding my children as they were growing up that uh, San Francisco is not really part of the United States. It doesn't represent the rest of the United States. We are in a foreign missions field, so really our founding pastor didn't have to go overseas to go into foreign missions. This was the correct place. You know, our community is unusually unattentive to spiritual matters, but there are two seasons in the course of the year when people who would have no other time would ever come to church are at least open for an invitation or to consider an invitation. The times are Christmas... And Easter, and that's why this church as a family does everything they can during those two seasons to invite our community to come and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do Scrooge and musicals and whatever, whatever we can that's going to give us an opportunity to invite our community and present the gospel. We as a church family are doing our best to be in season to give a reason for the hope that is within us. Now, although the church really has two prime opportunities in the course of the year, you folks and we as individuals have opportunities all throughout the year if we're paying attention to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You see, if, if uh, the Holy Spirit knows we're attentive, the Holy Spirit can bring people across our path who are open and desirous to hear the gospel presentation. First Peter 3.15 says, If someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. And so sharing our faith is a responsibility of every believer well, how do we explain our Christian faith? Now how do, what do we include in the explanation? What do we exclude? How do we sequence the essential elements so that the person that we're speaking to understands the fundamentals of Christianity? Well, a number of years ago, a wonderful and godly pastor here at Church of the Highlands, Mark Himmon, put together a training sem- session, a system called Discipleship Dynamics, that trained hundreds of our church members to be soul winners for Jesus. And those tools have been updated, and what we're wanting to do is to prepare our entire congregation to be able to present the gospel presentation whenever the Holy Spirit gives you an opportunity to do so. Now, the gospel presentation centers around five summary statements that we as a congregation intend to memorize and uh, we're planning on learning one new statement each week. And I've encouraged the congregation to write them down and review them daily and practice them and commit them to memory. And if you just do one statement a week, then you'll be ready the next Sunday to receive the next statement. Now, when we were together last week, we learned the first statement, which was, Because of God's grace, heaven is a free gift. It is not earned or deserved. Can we say that together? Because of God's grace, heaven is a free gift. It is not earned or deserved. One more time: Because of God's grace, heaven is a free gift. It is not earned or deserved. Now I mentioned last week, some of us it's been a while since we've done some memorization. Three phrases might be overwhelming to us. So then I would recommend that you focus on the central phrase, "Heaven is a free gift, because that's really the core of the message. A gift is something that you can't earn or deserve. So really, that latter phrase is simply an explanation or clarification of the word gift. And where does this gift come from? It comes from God. Because of God's grace, heaven is a free gift. Now, Romans 6.23 says, "...the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord." A lot of people believe that salvation is only acquired through uh, good works or church membership or baptism, and so last week we looked at Luke chapter 23, which told the story of one of those uh, criminals that was hanging next to Jesus who asked for salvation. He had no opportunity for good works. He had no opportunity to join a church. In fact, there was no Christian church to join because the Christian church was established by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after, later, and so there wasn't even a church to join. And there's no indication from the Scriptures that he was baptized. He didn't come down from the cross and be baptized. And yet, Jesus said, you're saved. Today you are going to be with me in paradise. So what does it require then to acquire salvation, eternal life? Ask. Ask Jesus for it. Now, we can understand why heaven has to be a free gift when we understand what the Bible has to say about man. But before we learn the second statement, let's just have an illustration or an exercise so that you can remember this, uh, with the meaning of, uh, of this. Uh, I, it, perhaps you can grab your bulletin or something like that and either draw a line or find a line, just a straight line, that's all we need. And we're going to call that line, this is an exercise, we're going to call that line the line of goodness or the line of righteousness, okay? And sinful is on the left side, Bad sinful, and sinless is on the right side, or perfection, okay? Sinful on the left, sinless on the right. Now, I'm going to give you some names, and I want you to put them where you think they belong in that line, okay? First name, Adolf Hitler. That's funny. That's the same response I got from the other congregations. Okay. Next name, Billy Graham. Next name, Mother Teresa. Next person, you. Somebody last night says, I'm to the right of the first guy. Okay, so where are you on that line? Okay, now, most of mankind has a tendency to compare ourselves with others. And uh, when we compare ourselves with Adolf Hitler, uh, any of us would conclude we're not such a bad person after all. But if we were to compare ourselves with Billy Graham or Mother Teresa, we would not be so confident in our goodness. Now, we're looking at that line. We've got those four people. Now, I want you to mark one more thing. Where on that line would you put the minimum essential goodness required to get into heaven? The minimum essential goodness that's required to get into heaven. Would you put it at like 51%? Better than average? I'm better than average? You know? Would you put it? Yeah, schools use 70 uh, percent as a C, C is passing, would you put it? 70 percent? What happens if God's really picky and only picks A students? You've got to get 90 percent or above. OK? Well, the reality is that we don't have to guess where that mark is supposed to be on that line, because Jesus has given us the answer. It's found in Matthew 5:48. When Jesus says, Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Be therefore perfect. So if the line, if that mark could even be on your line, it'd have to be on the far right edge. And if you were honest about grading yourself, you can see that you fall short. I fall short. Billy Graham falls short. Mother Teresa falls short. Everybody falls short. And that's what the Bible tells us. So with this illustration in mind, let's learn our second statement. The second statement is this. Man is a sinner and cannot save himself. Can we say that together? Man is a sinner and cannot save himself. Again, man is a sinner and cannot save himself. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 3 somebody says, oh yeah, prove that from the Bible. I want to see in the Bible where it says that man is a sinner and cannot save himself. Well, we're going to find that. We're going to find that in Romans chapter 3. I'm going to suggest to you that you might take some time this week and read through the book of Romans, uh, 16 chapters long, and it and it really is a synopsis of the gospel and the salvation plan of God. So we're in Romans chapter 3 right now, and uh, we're going to look at verse 10. And following, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous. How many are righteous? None. None. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Not one that doeth good. And then let's look later in that same chapter, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Say, where does it say that mankind, that all men are sinners? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Now, there are several words in the Scriptures that are translated sin. The word that's translated sin in this particular verse was an archery term, and it literally meant missing the mark or missing the target. So all of us are guilty of missing the mark or the target that God designed us for. We have fallen short of God's standards. Now, let's, let's try to illustrate it this way. You know, if a person were only to commit three sins a day, three sins, that's your allocation. Some of you are saying, I wouldn't even get out the door by the time I'd used up my allocation. I wouldn't get through the traffic. I wouldn't get to the office. Only three sins a day. Okay? There are 365 days in the year. Three times 365, over 1,000. Let's average it out. 1,000 per year. Let's say that you have a very short life. It's 30 years. It's not 70, it's 30. How many sins would that be? Over 30,000 sins, right? All right. Let, let's say they were small sins. Parking violations. Can you imagine showing up in front of a judge with 30,000 parking violations? Well, Your Honor, I think that uh, the officers made a mistake. I I think I was unfairly ticketed. I don't believe that the parking areas were clearly marked. You think any judge is going to take those kind of excuses with 30,000 violations?
0: kind of puts things into perspective, doesn't it? I mean, something as silly as those citations really means something far more serious as we consider eternity which is what we are doing here as we study verse-by-verse with Pastor Layden Sheely. Thank you for joining us. Questions, comments, as always, can be handled at our website, highlands.us. That's highlands.us. As always, we come to you from Church of the Highlands. Questions and answers and comments can be directed towards us again at highlands.us. And then we invite you back tomorrow as we close out the week